Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and a therapist at Still Point. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point. Josh, I'm excited about today. We get to talk about mindfulness. Yeah. It's an interesting topic to talk about. And I'm thankful that we get to talk about mindfulness because we get to be reminded that we can practice it, that it can be part of our daily lives. And I think while it's not easy, it, it reminds us that we can benefit from mindfulness where other people might not even be aware that this is an option for them. I mean, I know we have like things we want to talk about specifically, but like, what is your experience with mindfulness? Uh, It's really hard for me to have a practice in mindfulness. I find mindfulness, I need it to be more fluid, more in the moment to be able to have a practice of it. And I don't know if that'll make sense to a lot of people. Um, Like it's hard for me to sit down and meditate. It's hard for me to sit down and have like center centering rituals. And so for me, I have more success in doing it in very short spurts intermittently where like before we started talking, I tried to center myself and get excited about mindfulness instead of like whatever else was going on in my day. What about you? My experience with mindfulness has been kind of far and wide. I've done a lot of different types of things with mindfulness. Like I've done the meditations, I've done the grounding things, I've done like ritual type things. But I tend to find like everyday tasks that I am mindful in. For example, like when I used to cut hair, or I still sometimes but like I I don't know like things just kind of like go away when I'm doing hair it's kind of like I get lost in the zone yeah or like if I paint but I still meditate but like only when I'm confined to a certain (laughs) space like when I go to bed like Mm -hmm. that is a an opportunity to like kind of meditate into sleep yeah I agree. I think that bedtime is an excellent time to form a practice of uh, mindfulness or meditation. It's just easier. Like, and it's not that I'm so busy throughout the day. I mean, some days I am most of the time. It's just like, no, no, I don't want to. I mean, and there's a part of me that needs to be more disciplined in that area because I do know from like experience like when I've set aside the time to meditate or set aside time to just ground myself like it is really beneficial like it helps like renew parts of me it helps calm me down like so that I'm able to like do certain things Mm -hmm. but yeah it draws a really good difference because there's a difference between giving your attention to something versus being mindful. Like if you're giving your attention to something, you might be focusing on it. You could be in the flow with it. But then there's also this piece of being mindful of something, which is a different type of focus, I find. It brings a different level of awareness. You get different benefits from it. 
like increased energy or focus or it provides reflection on how you actually are paying attention to something because my definition of mindfulness i think it is a form of presence and presence is a way of being and being is a state in which you are alive and i know that's a lot to swallow but there are these it's almost like esoteric definitions of mindfulness i find they're like theoretical mm-hmm. and i think they're hard to make concrete and like i was saying i think there's a difference between having attention on something versus being mindful of it because if i have attention i'm trying to understand it i'm trying to make meaning out of it i'm trying to have comprehension of it where i find mindfulness is the noticing of or observation right without interpretation or judgment without interpretation or judgment. What about you? What's your definition of mindful? I find mindfulness as like an umbrella term, which meditation, guided imagery, breathing methods, yoga, progressive muscle relaxation, all of those practices kind of fall under mindfulness for me. But I do find that it is a process of focusing on being intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without interpretation or judgment. I also think that there's this quality of mindfulness that allows you to expand on things, like things that you wouldn't have noticed will come to your awareness. I believe that is a possibility for sure, if you're open to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like I find that there's a part of me that feels like if you are in flow, that is a piece of mindfulness. Is it the entirety of what a mindfulness experience or practice can provide? No, but I do think being in flow is very much a part of it. I mean, because I think that like that flow piece is where a lot of artists create. And I do think that there in lies a mindfulness piece because especially if they're able to kind of detach from what it is that they're doing or it could challenge that they become more connected to it like when you're in the flow you don't detach you might detach from your stories that you're telling yourself or the cycles that you find yourself in or the experience of your daily life but you become more connected to the actual creativity that you are engaging in. I mean, and I think that, I think that, that that's it. Like you're connecting to the creative flow. Okay. You're not correct. You're not necessarily connecting to an outcome. Got it. I mean, because for me in that moment, that would be judgment. If I'm connect, so connected to what I'm creating, then I'm judging it and I'm in trying to interpret. And that takes me out of that mindful artistic creative flow. Okay. That's just how I see it. That does not mean that I am right. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. Like I, I find that if I am in that creative flow and I'm connecting to it, there is a lot of richness in it. And I do think there, there are qualities that we can strive to participate in that will add to a mindfulness practice, like being open to something or being curious about something. I mean, for me, like, I think awareness comes down to, like, you being an observer. Like, we don't have to understand. We don't have to engage with it all that much, really. I mean, 
because the more we engage, the more likely we are to start interpreting and judging it. But it reminds me of the book, The Untethered Soul. Like a part of it talks about like the good guy on your shoulder and the bad guy on your shoulder and how they're both kind of talk at each other. And you're neither the good guy nor the bad guy. You're that third person that's listening to all of this stuff that's happening. And I think that is like the epitome of awareness and mindfulness to me, when you're able to be that observer and notice what is happening inside of you and not overly identify with any of the things with either side of it. And Josh, I think that is the significant part to not over identify with either, not the good, not the bad, not the too much or too little. It's being present in that moment to whatever is happening and being the observer of that. And thinking about how powerful that is, like you literally get an opportunity to potentially rewrite everything you think about yourself. Tell me more. If I am not overly identifying with the too much, the too little, then I get to start seeing myself as my authentic, true being, my true self. I think that can be really scary for people sometimes because we talk ourselves in and out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking ourselves into it, we're like boosting ourselves up. We're thinking how amazing we are. If we talk ourselves out of it, we're thinking about how horrible we've been. Yeah. And to be able to rewrite that and be present to it and not have too much or too little, but just enough. I mean, I know that takes judgment or some type of like decision or choice in it. But I think there is a quality of gaining mindfulness to have a more authentic self. And I think what we discover adds to our awareness. It adds to who we want to become or the things in ourselves that we can value or reminding us what could be. My brain instantly goes to like relationships and couples Because I find that I see this, that dynamic, like the over-identifying too much or too little Mm -hmm. in relationships. And when someone identifies with the too little, they are really afraid to open up in therapy because they're afraid their partner will see something they don't like. And that is also the too much that I'm too much of this thing and not enough of that. Mm -hmm. And when we are able to start seeing ourselves as not too much or too little, like our relationships start to change because then we can start seeing not only ourselves, but our partners differently. Right. And I think that dynamic of being able to see the authentic self, the like, like a very realness, Mm -hmm. like it's neither good nor bad. Like everyone is learning. Yeah. And that takes time, practice, and like you said, it can be really freaking scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does take a certain level of commitment to it, to be able to see yourself in that way and to be able to look at other people that way. Yeah. I mean, and I think that takes us into like that next thing, like it is a practice. It takes time to build up like a proficiency at being able to meet yourself or others in that space. 
And as we shared earlier, like we are still in practice. Oh yeah. I don't think anybody ever is not practicing. (laughs) I remember learning that lesson and I hated that lesson. Like the idea that I will never not be able to practice. Yeah. Like what? I thought life was supposed to get easier. I still am holding on to a sliver of hope that one day. (laughs) (laughs) I also saw something else. I forget what it was, but it was like, choose your hard, right? Most things are hard. It just depends on what you're going to choose your, like is going to be your hard. And I think people can enter mindfulness in lots of different ways. Like you get to choose your hard. Like when you choose where you enter mindfulness at, sometimes people choose it from their strengths. Like if I'm a feeling person that I might choose a mindfulness that's based on feeling or in that same situation, if I'm choosing from a place that's more challenging for me and if I'm a feeling person, I might choose a way of like focusing on my thoughts. I think there's lots of different ways to have a relationship with mindfulness. I like how you describe it as having a relationship with mindfulness, because I think that shift in language can really help people be more willing to participate in it. I mean, because if I say you have to develop a practice, like who wants to do that? Right. I have to lay it out. It's like an assignment. I have to, you know, do certain things every single day or at my deadline. And then I have to have this product at the end. And I think that is very overwhelming for people. It's overwhelming for me. I agree that there are a lot of different ways that we can engage in mindfulness. One of my favorite ways when I was working with kids was to give them sour candies. Because like most of us, whenever you put a sour candy in your mouth, like all you're thinking is like, holy crap, like this is incredibly sour. Like I always used warheads. And it taught them or helped them understand like the idea of coming into this moment and only focusing on one thing. Because a lot of times like you're just thinking about like, this is sour, not mom and dad this or grandma that or bully at school or deadlines well if you ever do a mindfulness challenge for me i'd really like it to be different types of chocolate please and i did that for adults though like i would have like dark chocolate white chocolate semi-chocolate or semi-chocolate semi-sweet chocolate (laughs) yeah and uh like milk chocolate and like different brands so that like this one was smoother. This one had a more of a bite. So they could p- pick a couple and then like be able to decide which is which or whatever. And then because I also talked to a CPS office about it and they were trying to find ways to be mindful and quick and easy ways. And hey, most of us always carry something, carry a bag with us. So throw a couple pieces of chocolate before you go into a client's house, pop it in your mouth and you have a one minute mindfulness activity. And I think that could be true for any of the senses. For sure. Like 
listening to certain music or having like a certain, like a favorite sweater or scarf that you wear, like really tying in that touch, taste, smell, sight, and hearing. And you may have seen that we talked about um, Dan Siegel's work on the Wheel of Awareness on our website. And I would absolutely recommend you looking into his work. He does a beautiful job on mindfulness, like around a wheel of awareness. So entering mindfulness through the spoke of the senses or the body and the mind. And then also interconnectedness, which is the relationship component. And he calls the center of the wheel, the hub. So this is kind of like our concept of core self and that centeredness where there is pure energy, where you can have a presence to just being alive. And he extends his work, but he has some resources for meditations, which is a form of mindfulness and just different ways of practicing, moving through the different environmental pieces, whether it be within or outside of ourselves, that kind of helps ground us into a present moment. One of the challenges I see for people though with mindfulness is to deal with this sense of losing control or releasing control or letting go of the concept of control. Because in being mindful, you don't know what to expect. And it's not that you would expect anything out of the ordinary, but in letting down your guard and relaxing your body, there is that part of your brain that is looking for something dangerous. And even when I've taught people about mindfulness, there's, you know, questions about like, what will I find? Will I lose my mind? Can I be in control or like a disregard? Like I don't need to be mindful of anything, or if I practice this, it's not going to change anything. And those are kind of those extremes that we were talking about before very much um, in or very much out. And so it is difficult to know that there is that centering point of being present to both and observing what could happen, what will happen, but you don't have to control it all the time. And then I think that's mindfulness when you are willing to just be without feeling you have to control. The willing to just be without feeling you have to control. What I'm hearing you say is that the stories people have told themselves keep them from being able or willing to participate in mindfulness for some reason. Yeah, it's usually in a belief or story or an experience or a stressful event that has told them that they can't be mindful. They have to be on the watch. They have to withdraw instead of be present. Hypervigilant mm-hmm. or avoidant. I mean, I had a few questions like with thinking about our stories, like what stories keep you held back? What cycles are you feeling trapped in? And what illusions are you still living in that prevent you from being your authentic self? Oh, man. And, I mean, because I think like in those, like there is so much good information that can help us understand why building a mindfulness practice is really challenging. Mm-hmm. Understanding our stories, I think, is really important, especially when we are trying to change something, because often we get snagged 
in the same spots or around the same areas over and over and over again. And if we're not addressing those things, then we're just doing the same thing. We're running a hamster wheel without a, a thing on it. Like yeah. our foot keeps going through. Yeah, it was that Carl Jung quote that in which we resist persists. I also think kind of extending on this concept of stories, I think that we are more than our stories. Like we're more than our thoughts, we're more than our emotions, we're more than the decisions we make based on those. And I think that there's a lot of possibility in that. And you have shared with me previously, which I think we'll end up talking about, but this concept that in mindfulness, we become free and we are no longer slaves to our mind. And if I think about us being slaves to our mind, I think about the fears that we hold, those stories that keep us back or snag us instead of being able to live in possibility in that curious, observant space where anything is possible. And if we don't observe those things, then opportunities end up passing us by. Building a mindfulness practice really is all about becoming aware for longer periods of time. I mean, when we first start, we're usually one to 10 seconds is all we can really focus on one thing. And then our mind wanders and then we have to redirect and then our mind wanders. I mean, and the longer we do it, the more we're able to hold that focus longer. So in our daily lives, if we're able to hold our attention, our focus, our whatever for longer periods of time on one thing, then we become more effective. We become like more at peace with things. So I, I don't know, like I see it this as like a no brainer, like, yeah, duh. Why would we not be practicing mindfulness? I mean, and it's also one of those things that like Albert Einstein said, like you cannot solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we use when we created them. So like we have to shift something. And I think mindfulness is a really easy, or, mm, I, I just, not easy, but easy <laughs> way of like helping us become more objective about things so that we can start shifting some of our thinking so that some of the problems that we've created with our stinking thinking, we can, we can, we can fix a remedy in some way. I mean, but from my own experience, like you will have days that are really good with a mindfulness practice. Like you feel like you're able to maintain focus, like you are in the zone. And there will be some days where it takes everything you have just to sit down or to be present for whatever it is that you plan to do. And I think that is really normal. And I find that it's in those moments when it is really hard to, to sit to do a meditation or to do yoga or to do a breathing exercise or to eat a bar of chocolate or whatever it is. Like it's in those moments that we need it the most. And I find when I do sit down or am practicing mindfulness, I feel a relief in my body. And I don't even realize that my body is so tight or holding that tension. And as I become like more aware of my surroundings, or if I'm paying attention to a certain music, 
or if I'm, you know, looking at a picture and I'm holding my attention for longer and longer, like I, I start to get sleepy because my body isn't used to being relaxed. How do you form a practice? I don't think there's any bad place to form a practice or to like start a practice. Like I think there's lots of entry points to mindfulness. Like it doesn't have to be just one certain way. There's not one subscribed way of doing it. And I find that checking in with yourself, like seeing what you desire to expand or change or be present to, what you want to be curious and open to. I do think there's a component of needing to slow down in order to see what is happening within you or around you. And I, th- I think this is a harder point. Some people have difficulty like naming where to start. Others might have difficulty in slowing down enough to actually start it. I think there's also this practice of having a willingness to fluctuate between what you are noticing within you versus what you are noticing outside of you. And then staying curious to what, what else might be happening around you and seeing that change. Because I think sometimes we expect it to just like stay stagnant or stay the same as we like are mindful or notice things or, and that's where people talk themselves out of it. Like, what's the point of this? But having that openness to see what, what could be noticed or what thoughts might pop up or what can be seen when you're being mindful, I think can bring a lot of additional curiosity. The last piece I would share is I think it's important to give yourself permission to not make sense of anything. And I think this is the hardest where you don't have to place that judgment or that criticism on your experience or how you did or what the next step is, because it really is moving with that energy within you and that which extends outside of you. What do you think it takes to build a practice? Before I get into that, I do have a question and a comment. Yep. One comment, like the, like not being stuck on things changing. Like I always kind of envision it as like, I'm watching the clouds go by. Like the more I try to hold the idea that this was an elephant in the sky, like Mm -hmm. the more upset or disappointed I would be when it starts shifting into a baboon or a car or whatever. So if we can see mindfulness as a metaphorical way of us staring at clouds, Mm -hmm. like it's constantly shifting, I think that is kind of, it helps to be open to how it changes and morphs in the process of a session. I like that metaphor. And you had mentioned like noticing what is happening inside and outside of yourself. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. I guess what I meant by noticing what's happening inside of yourself, like if I think about focusing on a cloud, if I'm noticing my own self, I'm noticing maybe I'm becoming thirsty and I just notice that. Or like the sun is bright and so it's causing me to squint my eyes. Or I even might notice like an unsettledness in my stomach. Like whatever is popping up in that moment, I can notice what's happening within my body or even within my mind. Like, oh, I keep like this thought just won't leave me. Like I need to go to the grocery store. I need to go to the grocery store. Or maybe it's a feeling where all of a sudden I just feel really sad. 
where it reminds me of a memory of looking at clouds with, you know, someone I love. And so I think there can be a, an entire internal world. And then we have this external world, which we're engaging with, like in the mindfulness. And so paying attention to that too. And that's where you can pull in those five senses, what you're seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. I can see you thinking. I mean, I guess for me, like with mindfulness, it is if I'm focusing on clouds that I'm focusing on clouds and yes, I will notice like my stomach's hurting, but I need to go back to the clouds now. Sure. Because I find that if I'm getting hung up on, oh, my stomach's hurting, then I've shifted my mindfulness from clouds to stomach now. I mean, in brain spotting, it's kind of like that. It's just like whatever's coming up, you notice and you just keep moving with it. I see validity in both options. Sure. So when would you say using like the type of mindfulness where you are focusing on both internal and external worlds, when would you use that versus like staying mindful on a single thing? I think if I were thinking of a practice of staying mindful on a certain thing, it would be more about focus. It'd be more about bringing attention to and practicing that, bringing that attention back to. Where if I'm thinking about noticing whatever is coming up, I think of more of an expansive process. Like if I'm struggling because I'm getting stuck on one thing and I might become obsessive or fixated on it, I might need practice in expanding my awareness, becoming more mindful of what is actually happening within me or around me. There's like a presence to it. And so I never thought about it in that way, but I think you're accurate. Like I think more of a traditional sense of mindfulness is more of a, like a focus rather than an expansive practice. So yeah, thank you for making that distinction. Oh, just like my brain just like does not compute. Like what is that? <laughs> what is Abby talking about? What is she saying? I mean, and the information was there, like, I do brain spotting all the time and it's the very thing that you're describing. And then I also like within my own mindfulness practice, I'm like, okay, I'm focusing on my breathing. Like those aren't the same things. So. Well, then I could take the example of breathing and like, there's so much to breathing. Yeah. I mean, you can have a single focus on the breath, like filling up the stomach or how the breath like move, like there's movement in it. And I guess that's my point with like an expansive process is that there, like there can be movement in mindfulness because as the breath goes in, it also comes up and you can also like feel it exhale. You can have it move through the nostrils, move through the mouth. There's different sensations that come with that and you can put your focus on different pieces. I guess for me, it's when in me focusing on the cycle of my breath, whether that is me feeling the heat from my nose or the coolness of the inhale on my nose, feeling it go down into my lungs, my chest and stomach expand, contract, come up and like the heat come out of my mouth. Like that's the cycle for me. So whenever I'm thinking of like, oh, now my stomach's hurting, then like for me, like it's going back to noticing the physical pieces as a way of maintaining that focus. Hmm. And like in my brain, like, like we have to start with the focus. 
so that the expanded pieces can come. And when it comes to the expanded pieces, it is more in my brain about finding not necessarily a reason or a cause, but finding a way to go deeper. I hear the distinction and I think there's absolute validity in that, like practicing of that focus in order to build into a more substantial practice of expansion. I mean, and I think that there's true validity in both. Like you can, sure. I mean, because monks, like that's their thing. Like they are focusing, I mean, for years mm-hmm. on things to master and become enlightened. Sure. And I don't think one is better or worse than the other. Yeah. Because I think they can give very similar results. Mm-hmm. So how to start a practice? One, I think we have to make it a priority we have to start doing mindfulness activities or a mindfulness practice every day for at least five minutes. Once we have made that decision to do that, then we create a sacred space. So like if that is setting up a little couple pillows on the floor or doing it at night, like whatever it is that you're choosing to do, designate a spot so that you know like that is my spot for yoga. That is my spot for my sour candies or my chocolate. Pick a time. So pick a when. When are you wanting to do this? Are you wanting to do this in the morning to prepare for the day? Are you wanting to do this at night so that you can kind of decompress after a long day? I always find that I like to do my stuff at bedtime, like in bed, laying down, because then I know that if I can go at least five minutes, then I can maintain and it usually helps me sleep. I find that creating a ritual that fits your life is really important when you're doing this. Like no phones, am I gonna light a candle? Do I need to drink a glass of water or tea before? And I think that the setup can be and is really important because I find that it is preparing your brain to go into that space, that sacred space that you've set up and do the intended thing. So like if it is, I need to light a candle, make a tea and set it down, have a drink of water, take three deep breaths, then I know that when I do that, like I am ready to enter in into this mindfulness practice. I think that having someone to partake in mindfulness with you is always a benefit. But this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago about that accountability partner accountability buddy. Like if we start a mindfulness practice and we are the only ones that know about it, it's going to be really easy to say, F this, I'm done. Like it's too much for me. And like, it gives you somebody to like talk about who may be experiencing like, yep, today was really hard. Like, what was it like for you? Well, today was easy for me, but yesterday was unbearable. So it gives you someone to go through the experience with. I think the last two can be a little difficult, which are let go of your expectations, kind of like what you said. This doesn't have to be anything. And you may not get any revelation out of it, especially when you first try. I mean, hell, maybe you do. Maybe this is like life altering the first time you do it. But 
a lot of times it takes time and expecting a certain outcome, even if that expectation is whenever I do this for five minutes, my blood pressure is going to go down. I'm going to not be as upset when I get out of this. And then five minutes later, then you're still upset because whatever happened is a big deal. And like, let go of the expectation of what this will do or what it will be like. And then lastly, be kind to yourself. That's a good one. And I find that that is really hard because like, oh, I can't do this. This is really hard. Like, I mean, and then we end up talking ourselves out of it, going back into the, I'm either too much of this or not enough of this. Mm -hmm. And we completely scrap it and continue to run on our hamster wheel with holes in it. I mean, but I do think that, I mean, and you kind of mentioned some of these things, but I think we can focus on our breathing. I mean, mindfulness can be as simple as putting our phone down and being present with whoever's in the room. It can be as easy as doing one thing at a time because all of us are trying to multitask do, and do 50,000 things at one time. Focus on one. We can be mindful sweeping the floor, doing the dishes, or taking mail from one room to the next, or doing whatever we do at work, like everyday tasks. And this is my favorite because I find that like I hold a lot of tension in my back and I have back pain. So noticing the way that I move. So when I'm standing and my back hurts, like I take a moment, take a deep breath and then mindful of how I'm standing. And then I start repositioning my body. And it's amazing how easily and quickly some of the, oh, yeah. the, the tension in my body starts shifting because of the way that I hold my body. Yeah, mindfulness can be fantastic for pain release. And I mean, to be honest, a lot of people say it takes two weeks to start a new habit. Mm, not really. Like it can take on average 66 days. But usually it, you're looking more between 18 and 254 days. It can almost be an entire year to start and create a new habit. And Josh, I think in knowing that, like, I can start to be kinder to myself about not doing it perfectly within the first two weeks. Or maybe I get like one part of it, but not all of it. And that's okay. Like if we are trying to do build a new practice or build a relationship with mindfulness, no relationship is solid in two weeks. But if we're able to focus on communication, if we're able to focus on like the little things mm -hmm. and mastering the little things, once we've mastered those, like put all of those things together, then you have built a pretty fantastic practice. Yeah. And I think you named a lot of those things. The idea of like, what are you going to focus on? creating that space in which you'll enter, like focusing on the breath and doing something instead of nothing. Like all of those ways of entering into that space can be very giving to you. And I think as long as we are willing to take the first step, that's all we really need to be focused on. Because I think that if from the beginning we are thinking like, oh my God, this could take me a year to get. Like, who the hell is going to want to try that? Yeah. Think about today. 
right now today I can do it I can I can manage today and then just once you've taken that step all you have to worry about next is tomorrow I have five minutes I can try tomorrow mm-hmm. then when tomorrow gets here be like okay I have five minutes I can do this today and I think that concept of freedom really gives people permission to be able to do it Yes, I'm hearing you talk about this. It really reminds me that we do have freedom to choose what we do with our time, what we do with our focus, how we show up. And it just brings back that idea that we do not have to be slaves to our mind. We are not hostage to our circumstance. We get to make a choice in how we show up with kindness and how we give to ourselves, even if it is for one minute of a day. And I think as we add to those minutes within that day, we get to cultivate what we want and fill our mind with things that we desire and that are giving to us instead of having a mind full of things that are a burden to us. Well, that is it for mindfulness today. If you have questions, comments, or topic ideas, you can always send them to so you can heal at stillpointhealing.com. You can check out our website, which has blog posts and our resource page at stillpointhealing.com. And you can check out our Facebook and Pinterest page at stillpointhealing. Thank you for listening. We look forward to talking about meditation next time. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.